Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Katrina King, General Manager of Capital Solutions, filling in for Craig Balanzuela, who is on leave this week. Each Friday, we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. I'm really honoured today to be taking Craig's spot and interviewing my long-term mentor, our resident chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Good morning, Matthew. Uh, Good morning, Katrina, and and welcome to the uh, Take 10. Thank you. Last week, you gave what turned out to be a really accurate indication of where the budget was going to land. So kudos to you and your team for identifying all those key themes. I wanted to start today by simply asking for your high-level take on the budget and whether it truly is the most expansive since World War II. Oh, thanks, Katrina. Um, We were on the money uh, in terms of the size of the deficit, which came in at a whopping $240 billion, or 11% of GDP, uh, for this year. Um, But uh, I don't know if we can take too much credit for that forecast, unfortunately, as most of the budget measures, you know, were already known in advance. Um, Look, in terms of the budget, the deficit uh, was dominated by stimulus measures, which uh, accounted for about $160 billion of the $214 billion deficit. And the remainder of the deficit was made up of uh, a deterioration in public finances as the lockdowns eroded the government's tax base and and caused the surge in transfer payments, such as increased unemployment benefits. What I find interesting, though, is of that $160 billion of policy initiatives in this year's budget, $120 billion represents the government's initial response to the crisis as it unfolded in March. In other words, half of the, uh, the budget deficit was made up really of uh, the JobKeeper and JobSeeker payments that we saw um, earlier on in the year. And there's only really $40 billion of new initiatives been added since the July economic and financial update. Now, as we've discussed in past QPods, these initiatives such as JobKeeper and JobSeeker, which support household and business balance sheets uh, in the short term, they help in terms of stimulating growth, but they don't guarantee ongoing additions to demand and growth uh, in the longer term. And in next year's budget, the government aims to allow the job keeper and job seeker programs to roll off. And as a consequence, the budget deficit halves to $112 billion in the next financial year, notwithstanding the pulling forward of income tax cuts. So the government is really backing in that the economy is on course for a sustained recovery in 2021-22. If not, if they don't get that recovery, that sharp fall in fiscal stimulus may actually add to a weakening economy uh, next year. Thank you. We might come back to have a look at those numbers and the size of that deficit a little later, but I'd like to dig a little deeper on the composition idea. Is what you're saying really that the budget is mainly about demand-side support and there's not quite enough to support what could potentially be more inflationary, the supply side of the economy? Well, that demand side, supply side dichotomy that you're using, uh, Katrina, I think is a really good way to look at it. The vast bulk of the stimulus that we currently have in the budget is designed to boost incomes and, and drive demand, demand side policies. Leaving aside the fact that there is significant leakage from these types of policies to savings. They also provide just a temporary sugar hit to the economy. There's little in these types of stimulus that provide an ongoing growth 
pulse to the economy. Now, that's not such a bad thing if your aim is just to get over a hump, um, you know, a slumping demand, and if COVID is truly ending in the second half of next year. If indeed the economy is on a sustainable path for recovery, then we shouldn't need the ongoing sugar hits that the income support programs provide. But that's a big gamble. If in the second half of next year we're still not clear of COVID, the economy will need ongoing support. And that's where I think supply-side stimulus can help. For example, infrastructure spending is longer dated. It provides the demand stimulus upfront during the construction phase of the project. Then it continues to deliver to ongoing economic growth during the operation of the projects. Um, of course, spending on infrastructure projects has to be shovel-worthy, as my colleague Ross Israel likes to say, as well as shovel-ready. We don't want that sort of infrastructure, which is bridges to nowhere, as happened in Japan and Greece. Um, what they need to be is, is projects that have economic merit, such as, for example, the Cross River Rail up here in Queensland that has the capacity to open up access to Brisbane, uh, to the Gold Coast and add to the development uh, of the economy in an ongoing uh, way. You're listening to Katrina King and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr Matthew Peter, is taking us through the implications of the budget for investors in Australia. So, Matthew, let's assume that this gamble pays off and COVID does fade domestically in the second half of next year. Even with that perhaps more bullish case, how are Australians going to pay for this? Well, it is the case that the deficits are leading to a blowout in uh, government's debt level and our net debt as a percentage of uh, GDP will exceed uh, 40% by the, uh, the end of the forward estimates over the next four years. But with interest rates as low as they are at the moment, uh, what's important is not so much the level of the debt, but our ability to service the debt. And that's really low. Um, over the next four years of the forward estimates, uh, the net interest bill on debt will most likely be just 0.7% of GDP. And if you want to make a comparison, that debt servicing bill of 0.7% of GDP was the same as it was in fiscal year 2018-19, when our net debt was actually under 20%. Right. So, Matthew, that's fine as long as interest rates do remain low. But with the scenario that you're painting, I'm wondering, is that a truly internally consistent story? If the fiscal package is successful, the economy is more buoyant, surely that means we can't stay at zero rates forever. Wouldn't ha rates have to rise? And secondly, the part of the question that I want to ask is, with such high levels of debt, are we lumbering our future generation with this debt problem so that the current population can benefit from these handouts? Well, I don't think we will have a problem servicing the debt over the coming three years. I do think your points are valid with regard to the longer run. Uh, when the economy picks up, the RBA will have to raise rates, as you suggest, uh, otherwise it'll risk either destabilising the financial system by creating asset bubbles or inflation will get out of control. So we can't rely on low interest uh, payments forever. I also agree that uh, it is an intergenerational problem and the legacy of, uh, of a high debt will mean potentially lower living standards for future generations. So effectively, we can support our current living standards. 
But this is where I think the mix of policies are important and why infrastructure can play a more important uh, role. Differently from demand-side stimulus packages like JobKeeper, infrastructure increases the capacity of the economy and allows for growth in the economy with less inflationary pressure. It also leaves you with a tangible asset. This is important as assets can be sold in the future to pay down debt. It's true that uh, as the government sells an asset um, and that ownership passes uh, to the private sector, people's use of the asset is no longer free. For example, we have to pay uh, for toll roads. But that cost is borne by the user who derives the benefit from the asset, as opposed to the current set of suite of policies where the uh, benefit really just is captured by the person who receives directly the JobKeeper payment, for example. You're listening to Katrina King and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, goes behind the scenes of the latest economic news. So, Matthew, given this package, what would you recommend as the industry sectors that investors should be focusing on? Well, I I think there's clearly a housing boom uh, brewing in the background here. When you look at the level of the interest rates, when you look at the income support programs, if we do get that second pickup in the economy in the second half of next year, you're going to get another housing boom. Also, it's going to be entirely in prices because without immigration to fill up the houses, we're not going to see a lot of pressure on rent. So I think the housing market is is ready to, uh, to take off. There's also a lot of uh, pent-up uh, spending sitting there in the economy, in the household sector. I mean, the uh, savings rate really surged in the first half of this year up to 20%. Part of that is because of precautionary uh, saving, but a lot of it was also because there wasn't the opportunity to spend because of the lockdown. So I think uh, consumer discretionary spending is ready to really surge uh, once we start to see the economy improve and start to reopening. Uh, Where will that spending go? Well, uh, people haven't been able to move around. They haven't been able to take holidays. Uh, They're not going to be able to take international holidays. So I think all those sectors associated with uh, domestic tourism uh, are going to benefit strongly over the next 12 months. Thank you, Matthew, for those thoughtful insights today. As you've noted, it certainly is a generous package in quantum and a large sugar hit that will get us through, hopefully, into the vaccine stage, although it does actually fade a little within 12 months. Perhaps, as you've noted, it is a missed opportunity to make some real structural inroads into long-term asset building or, or nation building. So perhaps that mantle needs to be taken up more by the private sector than we previously thought. That's probably a topic for another QPod in the future. You've been listening to QPod and our weekly Take 10 podcast featuring the latest foresights from our in-house economic team. Thank you for listening and have a super weekend ahead.